0: This is the Friends of Israel Today. I'm Steve Conover, and this weekend, we're focusing on the resurrection. We're looking at Psalm 22, a messianic psalm that gives insight into Christ's thoughts while he was on the cross. Amazingly, this predictive psalm was written nearly 1,000 years before Jesus walked among us. Also today, Chris answers a common question we hear this time of year. Was Jesus in the grave for a full three days? And later, apples of gold. Now, here's our host, Chris Katolka, with the news.
1: I was reading in the news in the Times of Israel that Israeli President Rublin Rivlin said earlier this month that Israel cannot remain silent to the suffering of Syrian civilians. He recalled the Holocaust saying, we as a people who survived the greatest of atrocities and rose from the ashes to be a strong and secure nation will do all we can to continue to aid the survivors of the horrors in Syria. He continued, we know all too well how dangerous silence can be, and we cannot remain mute. You know, President Rivlin is right. We stood too long on the sidelines in silence as we watched Syria burn. It's time for us to be praying that God give our leaders the resolve to make wise choices for the next steps when it comes to dealing with the conundrum of Syria. In Jesus' final moments leading up to his death on the cross, he was left to face the most agonizing moment of anyone's life completely alone. All of his friends abandoned him, and, and from what we hear from Jesus' own words from the cross, even the Father wasn't there to comfort him. As Jesus was finishing praying at the Garden of Gethsemane, I believe he started walking the path of Psalm 22. A messianic psalm that predicted the Messiah, the King of Israel, would face death alone. And Psalm 22 gives us a glimpse into the mind of Jesus in those fleeting moments. You know, sometimes I think we can lose the humanity of Jesus when we only think about him and his death from a theological position. And and what I'm saying is sometimes we tend to skip over what Christ was feeling when the disciples and his friends ran away from him when he needed them the most. And we can forget the fear that gripped him with every lash he received from the Roman whip on his back or the nails that pierced his hands and feet or even every breath that he struggled for on the cross because we just instinctively tend to think that Jesus was supposed to die for us. And he was. But Jesus' humanity in that statement can get lost. The truth is, Jesus did fear death. He admitted it to the disciples and in his prayer to the Father after the Passover meal in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus said to Peter, James, and John in Matthew chapter 26, verse 38, My soul is very sorrowful. You can sense from Jesus that he's feeling anxious inside, knowing what's coming in these next few hours. And then he cried out to the father, only a few verses later, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. You can get a real sense of Jesus's natural fear of both death and what would happen at his death. The fact that he would become the payment for sins past, present, and future. Psalm 22 begins when King David writes in his own agony under the persecution of Saul. Listen to what he writes. He says this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22 verse one. This opening statement is so important because if you remember, God was the one who made David the king of Israel. God was the one who set David apart to accomplish his purposes. David knew that his kingship was set in motion and put in place because of God. And now, under the persecution of Saul, God seemed as though he was nowhere to be found. God, you brought me here. Where are you? Why have you forsaken me? You know, and and Jesus, in the same way, from his very birth, Jesus was set apart to be the Messiah. God even said of Jesus at his baptism, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. All the prophecies of the Old Testament that were fulfilled, everything was ordained by God the Father, and yet in Jesus' most vulnerable moments, God seemed as though he was nowhere to be found. This entire psalm, Psalm 22, speaks like a back-and-forth conversation of someone convinced of their demise but constantly reminded of God's faithfulness and goodness in the midst of the trial. Just listen to this. I'm I'm going to jump back and forth between a few verses. We can't go through the entire psalm, but I want you to get into the mind of King David. And I believe this psalm being a messianic psalm is also going to help us get into the mind of Christ as well in his final moments. Just listen to this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? And just a few verses later, David says this. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you, our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. Or a few verses later from that, David changes again. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him for he delights in him. And just a few verses later, yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. A few verses later, again, David tends to go negative. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and feet. And then finally, a few verses later, it says, but you, O Lord, do not be far off. Oh, you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Did you hear this back and forth conversation of worry and hopelessness that gets answered with a reminder of God's faithfulness? Psalm 22 is referred to several times during the passion story. For instance, when Jesus is hanging on the cross in his final moments, he cried out to God in Psalm 22:1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or when it says in Matthew chapter 27, verses 39 and 40, and those who passed by derided him, it says, wagging their head saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you're the son of God, come down from the cross. Essentially, they're saying, if God is on your side, Jesus, get down. And we just read from Psalm 22, verses seven and eight. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. I'll let God deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Again, here is a direct connection to the crucifixion of Jesus being nailed on the cross and his clothes being divided and casted as lots in John chapter 19. My friends, Jesus in those final hours of his life walked the path of Psalm 22. But here's what I really want you to see. In those back and forth moments that we were just talking about where it seemed as though David was hopeless and then he would be reminded of God's faithfulness, it's important to make the same connection to the life of Christ during his moments of agony. Jesus, even in his fear and pain and loneliness, endured the cross because he knew God would be faithful, here it is everyone, to vindicate him in the end. The end of Psalm 22 reads like this. This is how Psalm 22 ends. Remember, David starts by saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? But then it ends like this. For he is not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but he has heard when he cries to him. David is saying, even though God may seem silent, he isn't hidden his face from him. Jesus believed that even though he was destined to be the sacrifice for sin, and that even though God would have to turn his face away from him, that God would not forget him, that God would rescue him and deliver him even from death itself. And this is where Psalm 22, everybody, meets with Resurrection Sunday. Resurrection Sunday, Easter, is the day God vindicated Jesus the Messiah. God vindicated his words, his works, his life, and his death after three days of being in the grave. Jesus knew he was walking the path of Psalm 22 but he also knew Psalm 22 in its entirety. Jesus knew that it was only a matter of time before his father would answer his cry. Are you feeling abandoned by God? Do you cry out to God and wonder in your pain and suffering or loneliness? Do you do you wonder can he can you hear me God? Are you there? Are you ever going to respond? Easter is not only the day we celebrate Christ's resurrection. It's the day we remember God isn't through yet. Resurrection is the reminder that God's not done. And he's in the business of making all things new. My friends, this Easter season, if you feel abandoned and alone, remember that Christ suffered the same way but he knew this one thing in this back and forth conversation of Psalm 22 God is faithful to the end and he will deliver you
0: As we've been learning, we're able to clearly see Jesus in Messianic passages in the Old Testament. And D.M. Patton says, the most amazing drama that ever was presented to the mind of man, a drama written in prophecy in the Old Testament and in biography in the four Gospels of the New Testament, is the narrative of Jesus the Christ. In our book, The Prophets Still Speak, written by Fred John Meldow, you'll see how the Messiah's credentials are established and you'll learn the Messianic offices of Jesus. Order your copy of The Prophets Still Speak for only $6.95 plus shipping and handling at foiradio.org or by calling our listener line at 888-343-6940. That's The Prophets Still Speak for $6.95. Order at foiradio.org or by calling our listener line at 888
1: Welcome back, everyone. We are dedicating our show to the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Messiah. And we just looked at the Messianic Psalm, Psalm 22, which predicted almost a thousand years before the birth of Jesus that he would suffer alone, but that even in his suffering, he would trust in God's faithfulness to deliver him, to, to vindicate his words, his works, his life and his death. And God's faithfulness to his son is seen in Jesus's glorious resurrection. When, when God the Father literally reached into the grave and brought Jesus back from the dead. Now, sometimes I will get asked to come and speak at a church during the Easter season, and I'll get a chance to speak on Good Friday, and I'll usually give a message on, on the trial of Christ or the crucifixion of Jesus. And without fail, whenever I give these messages, someone will always approach me and say, was Jesus in the grave for a literal three days? And this is always a great question, because in the text, we do see that Jesus uh, was in the grave for three days. But the question is, is it a literal three days? Is it 72 hours? So first, I want to take you to Matthew chapter 12, verse 40. Listen to what it says here. Jesus is speaking, and he says, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man—that's Jesus— be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So let's examine this statement and see if Jesus was literally in the grave for three days and three nights. Well, after Jesus died, it, it tells us in Matthew chapter 27, verse 57, that Joseph of Arimathea came to Pontius Pilate for the body of Jesus in the evening on Friday. Also, we know that it was Friday because Luke's gospel tells us that it was the day of preparation for the Sabbath just before uh, the sundown, which begins Friday evening. So Jesus's body is prepared after it's lowered from the cross. It's prepared and buried just before sundown Friday evening. He remains in the grave all day Saturday since no observant Jewish person would ever go to the grave on Sabbath day. And then early Sunday morning, the morning after Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, it says, approaches the grave of Jesus just before the dawn on Sunday. So if you calculate it, Jesus was put in the grave Friday evening. He was in the grave all day Saturday, Sabbath, and then Sunday morning, he's resurrected He's really only dead for, think about this, part of two days and then one full day. So how could it be three whole days and nights according to what Jesus says when he quotes from Jonah chapter one? Well, first is this. Remember, Jesus is quoting Jonah. He's giving a general idea that just as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so he would be in the heart of the earth. Uh, This quote shouldn't be taken for a literal three days and three nights, 72 hours, because in more verses that we see in the Gospels and and in, in the book of Acts and in the epistles, like in Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, or Acts chapter 10, verse 40, or 1 Corinthians 15, 4, it says that Jesus would be raised up on the third day, not after three days, but raised up on the third day. Many people who take Matthew 12, 40, literally, of 72 hours, not just as a quote of association with Jonah, will actually try to push back the death of Jesus to Wednesday or Thursday to make it possible to get that full 72 hours in there. The real issue comes down to the Jewish understanding of what constitutes a day. You know, for us, 2,000 years removed from the event, when Jesus says three days, we start counting, everybody, 72 hours. Well, clearly, according to the story, it wasn't 72 hours. It was only a few hours on Friday, all day Saturday, and then a few hours on Sunday morning. But see, in Judaism, during the days of Jesus, even a part of a day is considered the whole day when you're talking about it. And we can see this in the Old Testament, like in the book of Esther, when Esther told everyone to go fast for three days and three nights, and then she would go visit the king. And just a verse later, it says in Esther chapter five, verse one, that on the third day, she went to go visit the king. So here we see that part of the day is equivalent to the whole. Also, I love this. Listen to what Rabbi Eliezer ben Azaria, who, who lived just a few decades after Jesus' death, wrote when he was actually looking at Jonah and commentating on Jonah being in the whale for three days and three nights. He says this, a day and a night are an ona, and an ona is a portion of time, and the portion of an ona is as the whole of it. Did you catch that? Rabbi Eliezer Ben Azaria is saying that even a part of the day in the Jewish mind in the first century is considered a whole. So this helps answer our question. Was Jesus in the grave for 72 hours? No. But with reference to Jewish thought of Jesus' day in the Old Testament, a little bit of Friday, a whole day Saturday, and a little bit of Sunday is enough to warrant three days in the grave.
0: Now, Apples of Gold, a dramatic reading from the life and ministry of Holocaust survivor Svi Kalisher.
2: Every year my home is completely full on Passover evening. Before the readings, I gave a short testimony about the meaning of Passover. My children played music and everyone sang. The feast lasted until 1 o'clock a.m. and many of our neighbors, after hearing the music and singing, stood outside listening also. The unbelievers thought they were going to see and hear things completely different from their own celebration but they were surprised to learn we believe in the same God, and what's more, we follow the real Passover lamb, Jesus. Leviticus 17.11 clearly depicts the atonement. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. The only difference between their feast and mine was that I put meaning into it, emphasizing the Paschal Lamb, which is the real atonement. I read from the Bible and told them our celebration is all about that Lamb. This was very hard for them to understand. I read to them only from the Old Testament, such as Job 19.25, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth, This was the first time they had heard about the resurrection. Then someone asked the age-old question, How can we know this when no one has ever come back from the grave? I replied, The Lord rose from the grave. No, the questioner said. We don't want to hear that example. We want to hear from the Bible, but not from the New Testament. So I quoted the prophet Daniel, who wrote, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. You can have the Lord's mercy, you can have real atonement through his death and resurrection. They did not understand how God could be born, die, and come again. I told them the Bible speaks of all these things. Micah 5.2 and Isaiah 9.6 foretold his birth. Isaiah 53 foretold his suffering. Zechariah 12.10 foretold his death. King David prophesied of his resurrection in Psalm 16.10, and Daniel 7.13 predicts his second coming. I showed them all of these things without once opening the New Testament because God has given us a very clear picture of the Lord, our Savior, and our Passover in the Old Testament. I then told my visitors, you can see the way we have celebrated the Passover today. It's not taken from our imaginations, but from the Holy Bible, the same Bible you read. The Lord has promised he will come again, and he has told us to watch and pray so we will be ready for his coming. By the end of the evening, some of my guests had changed their minds about me, and we all sang together the popular song of the Passover taken from Psalm 118. It was truly a blessed Passover feast.
0: Check out foiradio.org to learn more about the book, The Prophets Still Speak, and join us next week when we answer the difficult question, why did God allow the Holocaust to happen? A quick reminder, you can receive Israel My Glory at no cost for a full year. Visit foiradio.org to learn more. Again, that's foiradio.org. Call our listener line at 888-343-6940. Again, that's 888-343-6940. You can write to us at FOI Radio, PO Box 914, Belmar, New Jersey, 08099. Our host and teacher is Chris Katulka. Today's program was produced by Tom Gallion, co-written by Sarah Fern, my Kellogg read apples of gold, and our theme music was composed and performed by Jeremy Strong. I'm Steve Conover, Executive Producer. The Friends of Israel Today is a production of the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. We are a worldwide Christian ministry communicating Biblical truth about Israel and the Messiah, while fostering solidarity with the Jewish people.